you know, it did come down to the last game for the Pac-12 title, and uh, Stanford ended up coming out. And, you know, they were a great team. They deserved to be in that position. Um, we dropped some games early that we should have won. But um, th- that doesn't mean a whole lot now. All we wanted was to host the regional, host the Super Regional. If 17 wasn't exactly what they had in mind, 2018 had the feel of unfinished business. We had a, a much more up and down season our junior year than we did our sophomore year. The one thing that I remain constant through all that is nobody ever panics. I still believe that the 2018 Oregon State Beavers was the best baseball team in college World Series history. This is Dynasty in the Woods, the story of Beaver baseball. I'm your host, Josh Warden. Today on episode seven, we start reliving each of the 2018 postseason games one by one. You'll hear how they sounded in the moment through the voice of longtime broadcaster Mike Parker, plus the players themselves talking about those moments and the storylines on and off the field. Oregon State came into the 2018 postseason with massive expectations, motivated by the 2017 season when the Beavers were the number one team in the nation, yet bowed out in Omaha prior to the championship series. In 2018, OSU was not quite as dominant in the regular season and did not win the Pac-12 title, but still earned the number three national seed. That meant the Beavers would host a regional, with three other teams coming into town for a double elimination bracket. And if the Beavers won, they would also host a super regional. That best of three series would be the only thing standing between Oregon State and Omaha, Nebraska, where the final eight programs in the country convened for the College World Series. But before we re-experience the 2018 postseason, we have to briefly acknowledge 2017. In 2017, the longest streak of consecutive wins by any program in the country, any Division I team, was actually a tie at 23 games between the Beavers and themselves. In one year, Oregon State won 23 games in a row twice. The second 23-game win streak stretched into the College World Series, including a beatdown 13-1 over LSU. At that point, Oregon State had played 60 games and lost just four of them. Maybe didn't lose enough, you know, and then we lost two in a row. The outcome painfully familiar to Beaver Nation. LSU came back and dealt the Beavers' only two-game losing streak all season. The two losses ended Oregon State's remarkable run at 56-6. and Last year, left a salty taste in our mouth, and every single person that was on the team probably remembers that. I sat bowling my eyes out next to Case on, on that chair in 17, going, we're going to win the national championship, and there was no doubt. You know, ever since, you know, we made the last out against LSU last year, um, we've been set on this moment, getting back to Omaha. Oh, man. When you only lose four games in a year leading up to that, every loss feels ten times worse. This is Jake Thompson, whose college career ended with those two LSU losses. We know we could have beat these guys. We know we could beat any team any day, and we just happened to lose two in a row. That was 2017, and here in 2018, OSU would not have to wait until the College World Series for redemption. Joining the Beavers in their regional bracket was LSU. But before everyone started hyping the revenge storyline going into that regional, the OSU players shot that down pretty quick. It's another postseason game. Just because it's LSU, it doesn't mean anything more to us because we got to get through the best teams to get to the College World Series and hopefully win it anyway, so we might as well do it early. You know, every game's important this time of year. We're going to prepare like we would any other team. 
the motivation for the guys in our locker room is when they get to put on the OSU uniform because there's going to be a day where they can't put it on again. Pat Casey is speaking the truth, and the players were saying the responsible thing by downplaying the revenge card, but there's a big difference in how Oregon State players might describe their motivation to play LSU now that a couple years have passed. 2018, when we got matched up with them in the regional, I think we all did a really good job of being like PC and saying like, no, like we're just excited that we saw our name on the board, but we were, su- I, I mean, I was super excited to play LSU again. That was the revenge tour. They had beaten us, they sent us home, and so we were just hoping that we would be able to play them again, and then we were at the selection show for the regionals, and we knew that we were going to be hosting, but we started jumping up and cheering and screaming as soon as we saw LSU in our regional, because we knew we were going to get another crack at them. I remember watching uh, Bryce Femmel's interview, and he was just like, yeah, you know, we're just excited, we're just fired up to get this thing rolling, and (laughs) it was like, nah, we were fired up to see LSU. It's funny because I, I talked to a ton of people about our postseason run, and not a lot of people understand like how bad we wanted to beat LSU. I mean, that was on everybody's mind, truly. I actually remember I was on second base at the end of 2017 against LSU. This is OSU center fielder Stephen Kwan. And once they beat us, they rushed out the field. You know, guys are kind of bumping into like not nothing disrespectful, but like they're running, they're sprinting right past me. And I'm walking back, and it's me and Andy Peterson. And Andy Peterson, he goes, "Quan, don't ever forget this feeling. This feeling sucks. You'd never want to get this feeling back. Make sure that you never have this again." So that was kind of something that I was like, "Yeah, like this is never gonna happen again." I think that fueled the 2018 team. You know, you can't even if you win. 50 plus games only lose four games you can't take one pitch off one game off you got to go out there and really kick everyone's butt jake thompson had experienced the loss in 2017 and even though he was not on the 2018 squad he was watching closely i definitely wish i was part of that 2018 team but i'm so glad they got to play lsu again i'll always hate lsu Oregon State would likely play LSU in the regional, but they would not play each other in the first round. LSU matched up with San Diego State and beat the Aztecs, so Oregon State would have to win its own first game of the regional in order to earn an LSU rematch. This is Mike Parker welcoming you to the NCAA Corvallis Baseball Regional in tonight's game between the Oregon State Beavers and the Northwestern State Demons out of Natchitoches, Louisiana on a gorgeous Friday evening in the Mid-Valley. Game one of the 2018 postseason, June 1st, Goss Stadium under the lights, 3,900 fans with Bryce Femmel on the mound facing Northwestern State. Femmel's 2-2 changeup is swung on and missed, strike three. He retires the side and strikes out two Northwestern State hitters. Bryce Femmel showed why he was an all-conference first-teamer, and he kept it a 0-0 ball game into the third inning. Offensively, one of the few question marks for OSU entering the postseason was Nick Madrigal, normally a scorching hitter. Nick Madrigal, in his last four games, 0 for 15. So the average has dipped under the 400 mark. I talked to Nick on our pregame show a little bit about that. He says he almost laughs when people say, hey, you're slumping. But for Madrigal, 0 for 15 is the <laughs> definition of a slump.
Madrigal grounded into a double play in the first inning, and the Beavers went down in order in the second inning. But with the game still scoreless in the third, Nick Madrigal had a chance to be a spark. Nick Madrigal, the batter, bases loaded, two down, no score. Heisler from the windup, kicks and delivers. Madrigal, a ground ball into left field for a base hit. Jack Anderson scores. Stephen Kwan right behind him to score. Madrigal, Madrigal breaks out of the 0 for 16 slump. A 2-1 single in the bottom of the third. The Beavers lead it 2 to nothing. And once Madrigal got the ball rolling, it was hard to stop. The pitch on the way to Novak, hit high in the air to deep left center field. Back goes Quan Adams to the track, to the fence, so long! Kyle Novak has done it again, and the Beavers lead it 4 to nothing. The strike one pitch is grounded up the middle into center field for a base hit. Trevor Lornick will score. Novak stops at second. Jack Anderson comes through, and the Beavers lead it 5-1. to one. Bottom of the eighth, Taylor hits one high in the air to left. Lenny Kooner goes back to the track, to the fence. So long! Zach Taylor has hit it out. The Beavers lead it 9-3. to three. What a great moment for Zach in postseason play. It kind of like caught me off guard because I hit it a mile high and I was like, oh man, like this might have a chance. Zach himself wasn't sure if his eighth inning shot would leave the yard or not. After all, Zach had only hit one home run the entire regular season. I remember being around first because it was just, it just hung up in the air for so long and, and it went over and it hit that metal sheet that was over the bullpen. It was loud. And so I remember being pretty fired up. For Zach Taylor, who was already having the best season of his college career, hitting a home run was the perfect way to ice the cake in the first postseason game. For me personally, that was pretty a, a pretty big moment because it was just like I was having so much fun. Bryce Femmel kept on striking out demons into the eighth inning. In fact, the first four batters in the Northwestern State lineup, he struck out all of them multiple times. Reliever Dylan Pierce closed the door, getting the final four outs of the game in just six pitches. Final score, Oregon State 9, Northwestern State 3. I, I believe offensively we need to be a little bit better, but I uh, thought we did the things we needed to do. It's always hard to win the first game. That's the perfectionist in Pat Casey. His team scored nine runs, and he wants it to be better. After all, he knew the Beavers could be better. And maybe most importantly, Nick Madrigal, with three hits and four RBIs, looked like his normal self. I understand that baseball, you're not always going to get a hit every day. You know, I really tried, you know, not to carry yesterday into the next day. That's one of the great parts about baseball. You you get to play the next day. So, I mean, overall, I was feeling great today. By winning the first game in the regional, OSU had a cushion in the double elimination bracket. Next, the Beavers faced the other 1-0 team with a chance at redemption from 2017. I think that fire started as soon as we lost that game. It was instant. That was the team that we were just hoping that we would get another chance to play. It was pretty much immediate that we had our sights set on revenge in a sense. The atmosphere is electric already. It's a Corvallis regional that has a super regional, almost an Omaha-esque feel. It was electric, first off. A record crowd, 4,009. Our fans were behind us, too. You know, everyone wanted to beat LSU. In what Paul Maneri called quaint, the quaint ballpark at Goss Stadium at Coleman Field. Yeah, that's uh, Paul Maneri taking his sort of backhanded shot. 
LSU head coach Paul Maneri was ready for the regional, and the guy he'd put on the mound, Zach Hess, was the pitcher who recorded the final out a year prior that ended OSU season. Zach, he's a power arm. I mean, just a good wipeout slider, firm fastball. That's a big time prospect. And we knew what happened last year. In the LSU section, beginning an LSU chant with a count of no balls and two strikes. One out, nobody on, on deck, Nick Madrigal. What an atmosphere in this ballpark. It's one of the great programs in the history of the sport here in town. The strike two pitch swung on and missed by Caden. Down he goes. And Hess looks plenty good here early. And he's strut. I mean, look at him strutting around. One lap around. And one of the things the coach has said about it, don't strike out because it, it feeds, feeds on it. Right. Yeah. We knew that it was kind of going to be a little chess match. He's going to throw some good pitches. He's going to get guys out. But if we get through him, their horse, we can get through everyone else. Oregon State made good progress to that end, putting the next two runners on base for Adley Rutschman. Two outs, no score. The 3-1 pitch. Rutschman drives it to the alley in right center field. It'll get down for a base hit. Madrigal scores. Trevor Lornick will score. Adley into second with a stand-up double. The Beavers lead it 2 to nothing. A 2-0 lead for Oregon State, but going to the bottom of the first, OSU ace Luke Heimlich walked the first batter and hit the second one. Whether he's too amped up or whatever else the situation is, for him to start a yeah. game, walk, hit, batter, that's not the Heimlich over the last seven starts, who has an ERA of 1.70, a record of 7-0. and The next hitter singled to load the bases with no outs. The 1-2 pitch to Daniel Cabrera, a topper, back to Heimlich. He goes to Rutschman for one, to first, in time! Double play! The pitch on the way is popped up on the right side. Zach Taylor calls. Zach with the wind playing with it, moves to his right, makes the catch. The inning is over. Luke Heimlich gets out of a bases-loaded, nobody-out jam, and LSU comes up empty. Heimlich escaped the jam with no run scored, although the next inning, LSU got two runners on base again with no outs. Luke out of the stretch, delivers 1-2, swung on and missed. Strike three. The 2-1 pitch coming to Hal Hughes, who bunts in the air, caught by Heimlich, throws to second, double play! The inning is over! Another jam escaped again via a Heimlich double play. Then in the top of the third, OSU upped its lead to 3-0 before Tyler Malone walked to load the bases, Kyle Novak walked to score a run, and then Zach Taylor stepped up, a guy who almost never walked. In the regular season, Zach had gone 10 games in a row without a walk. In fact, he had two stretches like that. As Oregon State's nine-hole hitter, he's not expected to bat 400 or anything, but the Beavers needed a reliable hitter in that spot with good plate discipline. Not only for this at bat, but the whole postseason. Technically, if you're reading a scouting report, it was like, this is like an out for us. So we need to go after this guy early. So I got a lot of heaters, like a lot of good pitches to hit early in the count because they were going to come after me. Maybe that's why you didn't walk very much is because you were swinging early. Uh, yeah, yeah. Case would, he would get on me a little bit about about not walking. And my plate discipline, it was, it was a struggle. It, it took some time, but I think I really kind of developed into a better hitter, especially when we got into the postseason. 
and talk about plate discipline, Zach worked a full count with the bases loaded here in the third inning. Bases loaded, 3-2 count pitch, runners go high and inside, ball four. Michael Gretler scores, the Beavers lead it 5 to nothing. Zach Taylor drawing the bases loaded walk. Very interesting ball game as we move to the bottom of the third. The Beavers leading 5 to nothing, but the first two innings have been an adventure to say the least for Luke Heimlich on the mound. The adventure continued in the bottom of the third for Luke Heimlich, putting two Tiger hitters on base yet again. Come set, the 3-2 pitch, breaking ball inside, ball four. Each inning, Jim, has presented its own special problems. But special problems sometimes come with special solutions, or in this case, special center fielders. The 3-2 pitch is lined towards right center. Quan in a hurry, dives, rolls over, stays with it, makes the catch, and the inning is over. Just another scoreless inning for Luke Heimlich. <laughs> Every inning so far, LSU had gotten multiple runners on base, and they'd come up empty all three innings. And each time, it seemed to invigorate OSU to capitalize when they got the opportunity. Top of the fourth inning, Caden Grenier doubled, Larnick walked, Rutschman doubled, and that knocked Zach Hess from the game with a 7-0 deficit. Hess was still on the hook for the two runners aboard as Caleb Gilbert replaced him. Gilbert was the winning pitcher in 2017 when LSU eliminated the Beavers. One out, Caleb Gilbert works Malone and hits Malone to load him up. Gilbert's first pitch hit Tyler Malone, and then he walked Kyle Novak to score a run. And then Zach Taylor came up. Zach got in an 0-2 hole before finding something he liked. The 1-2 pitch to Taylor is lined into right field. Base hit. Gretler scores. Malone rounding third. He will score. Zach Taylor having the weekend of his life, and the Beavers lead it 10 to nothing. That was the fifth run of the inning, and including a pitching change break, the Beavers spent so much time hitting that Luke Heimlich had to go out to the bullpen and throw some pitches just to stay warm. The inning lasted 24 minutes before LSU even recorded the second out, and finally Stephen Kwan mercifully grounded into a double play. It was 10-0 OSU after four innings. Fast forward to the sixth when it was 10-1 OSU. Zach Taylor doubled, Stephen Kwan tripled, Nick Madrigal homered, and that rounded out the scoring at 13-1. It was a big day for the Oregonians on the roster. Zach Taylor and Adley Rutschman represented Sherwood with three hits and three RBIs apiece. Beaverton product Brandon Isert pitched a scoreless eighth inning, and Salem native Sam Tweet closed it out. Back on the ball goes Kwan and Lorna. Kwan calls, makes the catch, and the ball game is over. Over, the Beavers defeat LSU 14 to 1 and take over the Catbird seat. We'll sit in it until tomorrow night. This podcast gives free advertising to charities, including Kingdom Home. So, Kingdom Home, our goal is to end child sex trafficking through prevention. We want to meet the physical, emotional, spiritual, and educational needs of boys and girls in our homes who are at risk of entering the sex trade. This is former Oregon State pitcher Matt Boyd. Matt and his wife Ashley established Kingdom Home in 2018. It's really, really special. It's just children who are living as children should, just pure joy, knowing that they will have a future going forward. Kingdom Home provides kids in Uganda with a safe place to live, access to education, and a path to either college or vocational training. With three homes for girls and another for boys, Kingdom Home is transforming the lives of over 100 kids. We're trying to equip leaders of tomorrow to hopefully make an impact in their way in their country. 
To learn more about Kingdom Home and how you can help, go to KingdomHome.org. That's KingdomHome.org. Winning the first two games of the regional meant one more win and it's on to the Super Regional. But the 2-0 record brings up an issue. Down the stretch of the Pac-12 season, Oregon State made a habit of winning the first two games of a weekend series and then losing the third. In fact, it happened four times in a row to close out the regular season. Part of the issue was pitching. OSU had a great Friday night starter in Luke Heimlich, a great Saturday night starter in Bryce Femmel. But who was next? Earlier in the year, it had been Grant Gambrell, but more lately, the Sunday starter was freshman Kevin Abel, who had started to look pretty good in the month of May, but still had not earned a win in more than a month. He's been getting better and better, and, uh, you know, I have all the confidence in the world in him. You know, I don't think that he is not capable of going out and giving us a really good start. It's an interesting comment. I don't think he is not capable of going out and giving us a good start. You kind of understand what Pat Casey is saying in between the lines. He has confidence in Kevin Abel, but he's acknowledging why there may be some doubt. Kevin's ERA had ballooned to nearly six earlier in the season, but he was showing signs of improvement, and he would get his first collegiate postseason appearance here in the regional versus, in fact, LSU, which had gone to the loser's bracket and eliminated Northwestern State. So now only two teams remained, LSU and OSU, with the visiting Tigers needing to beat Oregon State twice in a row. Kevin Abel liked this matchup because he already knew the weakness for LSU and other SEC teams. SEC's 95 mile an hour plus fastballs and sliders. That's pretty much all you'll see. Kevin Abel is not the typical SEC pitcher with a fastball slider combo. His arsenal is fastball changeup curveball, three effective pitches. When you take a coin flip and change it to a 33% chance on whether you're guessing the right pitch for the hitter, makes it a lot more difficult. So I think just them not seeing a whole lot of them throughout the season. And then, in my opinion, that's my best pitch. So the matchup works well. I just happened to be commanding my fastball that day, so they had to honor that. And then when I'm able to tunnel the two off each other, it usually works out pretty well. We talked about this briefly last episode also. The changeup is Kevin Abel's best pitch, even with a fastball that's plenty good on its own. When he was getting into a senior year, he was touching the 90s. That senior year of high school, by the way, when Kevin Abel was at Madison High in San Diego, where his coach Robert Lovato saw the one-two combo of a nasty fastball and nastier changeup. When he threw his changeup, it was dropping down to 77 to 79. Huge difference. And it looked like his fastball coming out of his hand, but then at the last moment, it just dropped right off the table. There's a trend in baseball for college programs and professional clubs who value velocity more than intangibles. They'll sign players with a powerful fastball and then try to work on the other stuff along the way. But Kevin Abel excelled in the other stuff from the beginning. The velocity opens doors and gets you noticed and things like that. But I had started throwing a changeup when I was probably nine, eight or nine. So that's just, that's been with me my whole life. It's become second nature for me. Honestly, I feel like I can locate a changeup more often than I can locate a fastball. Having a great changeup is all about deception, a pitch that looks like a fastball, spins like a fastball, and to the slightly too late realization of the batter, it's not a fastball. The biggest things I was told when I was younger was all it is is just a, it's a fastball with a different grip. You're still trying to make it look like a fastball. You're trying to use the arm speed like a fastball. And all you want to do is just hold on to it just a little bit longer and let the grip do all the work. 
When Kevin Abel was younger, he threw a two-seam fastball, but he switched to a four-seamer because it looks more like a changeup, so it would be tougher for hitters to distinguish between the two. Kevin put so much effort into his changeup because even though pitchers with the highest fastball velocity get a lot of attention, the actual toughest pitch to hit just might be a pitch that not only doesn't curve, but is also slower. I feel like if you ask a lot of hitters what the hardest pitch in baseball is to hit, they'll say a good changeup. Probably after that, they'll say a 100 mile an hour fastball, or the two are pretty close. It's hard to see. It looks it looks like a fastball, but it doesn't move like one. When you have to gear up to hit 90 plus, and then you drop some in there, it's 8 to 10 mile an hour slower. Hitting's already hard enough. And hitting only gets harder with a curveball like Kevin Abel's. And on top of that, he could throw his nasty deuce at any time as well. So that kind of made a, a double combo for him. Here we go again on a partly cloudy Sunday evening in Corvallis. Another huge crowd coming into the ballpark expected to push the 4,000 number again. With one loss already, LSU will need to beat the Beavers twice in a row, just like they did last year. The Beavers would love to wrap it up here tonight and not put themselves in the position of pressure tomorrow night. If you made the analogy between what's happened in the last five weeks, it's like the Sunday game. And Oregon State has not necessarily been strong in that Sunday or third game. Kevin Abel gets an opportunity against this club. When his stuff plays, it plays about as well as anyone. In the last couple of outings, you know, he's been good. He just needs to go out and relax and pitch. This is a very good matchup for him because this is a good fastball hitting team. But his breaking stuff is really what sets him apart. And so if he has his breaking stuff today, he sets up to have a very good day. It's another changeup on the 2-2 pitch. Swung on and missed, strike three. The changeup, that was great action, Jim, and a nice start for Abel. And that's what I alluded to earlier. This is a fastball hitting team. And the breaking ball is one thing, and the changeup probably is their biggest Achilles heel. Two outs, nobody on. Kevin to the plate. Change-ups, swung on and missed. Three straight change-ups from Kevin Abel. Two-two change-ups, swung on and missed. Strike three. Abel comes back to the plate. Two-two. Curveball in there. Strike three called. What a pitch that was. The inning is over. In the bottom of the first, OSU set out to give Kevin some run support, starting with the Beavers' leadoff hitter. Fontenot turns, comes 3-2. Quan, a drive to deep right field. Duplantis back to the track, to the fence. So long! Quan is long gone. The Beavers lead it one to nothing. A nine-pitch at-bat from Stephen Kwan started the scoring, and the inning wasn't over. Trevor Larnick drew a two-out walk, then Adley Rutschman battled through a seven-pitch at-bat to extend the inning with a single, and that brought up Michael Gretler. The 1-0 pitch. Gretler, a line drive, base hit to right field. Larnick trots home. Rutschman into second. Gretler, an RBI single to right, and the Beavers lead it 2-0. Next at-bat, nine pitches to Kyle Novak and a walk. Jack Anderson came up with the bases loaded in this lengthy first inning. 41 pitches in the bottom of the first inning for Devin Fontenot. The pitch to Jack hits him to force in a run. Devin Fontenot threw 46 pitches in the first inning alone. If anything, he was lucky to allow just three runs in the inning. Even worse for him, Fontenot barely got to rest after the first inning because of how quickly Kevin Abel worked the top of the second. Jack Anderson now moves in and makes the catch. How about that? Five pitches in the inning for Abel. 16 in two innings, and the other guy's thrown 46. 
Fontenot had to face Stephen Kwan to open the second inning just like the first, and this time Fontenot committed an error to let Kwani reach base. Then Fontenot walked Caden Grenier on four pitches and was pulled from the game after throwing 54 pitches and recording just three outs. OSU tacked on two more runs that inning and another run in the third on a Caden Grenier home run, and even more action in the sixth inning caused by Kyle Novak. The right-hander Bain delivers, breaking ball, driven to deep left center field. Back goes Zach Watson to the track, and the ball is off the middle of the fence. Madrigal scores, Larnick scores, Gretler on his way to the plate. Gretler is tagged out of the plate, but no back into second with a two-run double. The Beavers lead it eight to nothing. Even with Gretler being thrown out of the play, OSU still scored two more runs that inning after Jack Anderson and Zach Taylor both provided RBI base hits. And even if there was some lingering disappointment in leaving a run on the base paths with Gretler tagged out at home, there's some solace in the eighth inning when Novak again hit a double and on the play, Michael Gretler scored. So that duo redeemed themselves in a sense and Stephen Kwan added the final run of the game, an RBI single to score Ryan Ober and the onslaught was finished at 12 to 0. As you can tell, Kevin Abel had been busy posting zeros on the scoreboard. He allowed just three hits, striking out eight batters in eight innings. 2 2 change up, swung on and missed. Strike three. Another 1 2 3 inning for Kevin Abel. He did it against LSU. That was like the eye opener. Like, wow, you, you really just did that. Like, you know, you just basically shut out LSU. I mean, that, that was the greatest feeling I've ever had, that's for sure. Fastball, strike two, pitch taken, strike three, call. Another one, two, three inning for Kevin Abel. Well, he went out there like a man, you know? I mean, told him when he came off, that's a man's start. He, he's growing up. Stephen Kwan is there. Kwani makes the catch. Kevin Abel, eight shutout innings and comes off to a standing ovation. What a night for the freshman. What a boon it is to the Beavers in this postseason. They found the third man. It's Kevin Abel. Oregon State needed a third reliable starter, and Kevin Abel was up to the task. He even came back out in the ninth inning but gave up a leadoff single, but that just allowed him to take a curtain call with the Beavers leading 12-0. Yeski came out and he uh, he said, you know, I want you to think about you know where you where you were in Arizona your first outing and where you are now mentally. And right before I walked off the mound, I handed him the ball. He said, you know, make sure you tip your cap to this crowd because they're going to get real loud for you. And the biggest game of his Oregon State life has pitched the game of his life, and he's going to come off here to a standing ovation. Here it is. Couldn't help but, you know, smile and wave, really. I mean, in pure exhaustion, <laughs> that's for sure. The only unfortunate part from the standing ovation is that it lacked two important people, Kevin Abel's parents, who couldn't make the trip up from Southern California. They had a choice either to come to the UCLA series or come to one of the playoff series, and they wanted to go with the guaranteed baseball. So I won't be seeing them to Omaha, but uh, yeah, everyone's been making the jokes that my mom's not allowed to come anymore because I pitch really well and she's not here, and she doesn't like that. Either way, a great performance for Kevin Abel through eight innings. Jake Mulholland replaced him in the ninth and kept the shutout intact. Final score, Oregon State 12, LSU 0. A year after the Tigers sent the Beavers packing, this time it was the other way around. You know, we've been focused on since the fall and the winter to get back to Omaha and finish the job. We felt like we got robbed last year. I'm, I'm happy that we took care of the team that did it to us last year. 
for them to come over and, you know, us really beat them good, it felt good and it meant so much to us, you know, especially a lot of the guys that are from Oregon. It, it meant a lot. We were so motivated for that series. Since Oregon State defeated LSU twice in a row, there was no rubber match needed the next day on June 4th, which would be a very special day for six OSU players in particular. The odd thing about college baseball is how many players have to decide on a particular school twice in order to actually attend. Of course, there's the first decision of committing to a school during the typical recruiting process, but even after committing, those prospects are still eligible to be drafted right out of high school. So for the high-level players who get drafted, there's a second decision. Do you sign with a pro team, get a signing bonus, and realize your dream of playing professional baseball, or head off to college for the education, the college experience, the chance to improve your draft stock, all of those factors. For those who choose the college route, they're not eligible to be drafted again for three years. So it's a big decision to decline the pro contract and trust that the next three years will go well. For Oregon State, a few guys had needed to make that decision three years earlier. For example, Caden Grenier, Trevor Larnick, and Nick Madrigal. Nick, in particular, had been drafted in the 17th round out of high school, and Pat Casey remembers talking with Nick soon after that draft. And it takes courage when somebody's offering you money and telling you you could go to the big leagues in two years to have that kind of confidence. I remember Nick and me talking on the phone, and I never talked about the draft. I talked about him one time, and he told me on the phone, he said, uh, and people were offering him a lot of money. He just said, Coach, I think I'm a first-rounder. I said, then we don't have to talk about the draft anymore. You come to Oregon State, and you're going to be a first-rounder. Nick Mandrigal indeed came to Oregon State, and it was the day after the LSU victory when he saw his personal goals come to fruition, becoming not only a first-rounder, but the fourth overall pick, making him the highest-drafted player in Oregon State baseball history. Madrigal, who was taken by the Chicago White Sox, wasn't the only first-rounder. Caden Grenier was selected 37th overall by Baltimore, and in between the two middle infielders with the 20th pick of the first round, the Minnesota Twins selected Trevor Larnick. I truly was happier for those guys than I was for myself. And sure, I got, I got pretty teary-eyed when I saw my family behind me, and, and you know, they gave me all the love in the world. In high school, Larnick got picked in the 40th round and chose OSU instead. Three years later, he was a first-round pick. Madrigal, Larnick, and Grenier became the first trio in Oregon State history to be picked in the first round in the same year. Those three players could enjoy the draft on June 4th because they had eliminated LSU in straight contests, finishing off the Tigers on June 3rd. Had OSU lost that game, the regionals would have been extended to Monday the 4th, and those players being selected in the first round would have been focused on making sure LSU didn't eliminate them two years in a row while having their once-in-a-lifetime moment happening in the background. Instead, they got to savor it with friends and family, and since the MLB draft happens over multiple days, the OSU players who got drafted after the first round, like Stephen Kwan, Drew Rasmussen, and Michael Gretler, could get the news about being drafted while they were with all of their teammates. A couple of guys were getting drafted during our practice, which was fun because the coaches would get text messages and stuff, and they would be like, hey guys, Juan just got drafted by the Indians, or whatever. was like, yeah, we'd all go nuts and stuff, and it was a really fun practice. Caden Grenier remembers the guys rallying around each other, including Stephen Kwan. I was told by my agent I was going to get a call five rounds before I was actually going to go. So I was supposed to be around like 7 to 10, 7 to 12. Stephen Kwan hoped for a phone call around the second or third round, and if he was drafted about five rounds after that, that would be a dream come true. 
So as the day went on, the third round went, fourth round went, fifth round went, so I'm thinking to myself, oh man, like I guess I'm not going to the 10th round, you know, keep my hopes up, keep my fingers crossed. And I get a call and it's about around the end of the fifth round. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. Maybe I got something for the 10th round. And then it's my agent kind of going through all these things. They're like, yeah, this team wants to take you in the 12th. This team wants to take you in the 10th. But the Indians want to take you in the fifth. And I was like, uh, I was not expecting to go that early or for like anything close to that. Quan was having lunch with the team so he could track the draft updates on his phone. And I look it up and the Indians have the next pick. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should refresh this. And then I refresh it and then my name pops up. So I was like, oh goodness, like this flurry of emotions just popped up so fast. It was awesome. And it was really cool because like I said, we were at lunch and all my buddies were around. So it was, it was a blast, something I'll never forget. Six Beaver players had found out their post-college destination even before their college career ended. In fact, they could still have three more weeks of postseason baseball ahead of them, the only three weeks of baseball they'd played in college that could not affect their draft stock since they'd already been drafted, but nonetheless, probably the most important three weeks of their college career. Even though we had all just gotten drafted, we knew we had our, our careers starting right after that season everybody still had one thing on their mind and it was getting back to the college world series because everybody on that team minus the freshmen didn't like the taste in our mouth Caden Grenier knew there was unfinished business and Oregon State would continue that path with the Super Regional the next week. There's one other player who would be critical in that Super Regional and beyond who was rising up the draft boards in 2018 but was not selected in that draft. That's because he wasn't eligible yet. Just a sophomore in 2018, Adley Rutschman may not have been in the same signing class as the recent first round picks, but by 2018, he was in their class in terms of on-field production as he led the Pac-12 in batting average hits and RBIs. That really wasn't the case the year before, though. He got plenty of playing time in 2017, but as assistant coach Andy Jenkins remembers, he hadn't blossomed yet. Rutsch was very passive at the plate, you know, his freshman year. If you go back even further in his timeline, Adley Rutschman had an interesting high school career at Sherwood High, where he wasn't even the starting catcher for part of his time there. Granted, the guy who did start was a year ahead of him. In fact, it was his good friend and eventual Oregon State teammate, Zach Taylor. I think I developed a little bit faster at the time, which is kind of funny to say now, because Rutsch really developed into his body and kind of took off his junior and senior year, especially. So I caught it at the right time and something I can always like, you know, mess with them about and hold over him a little bit. But, you know, I can tell my kids someday that, hey, at the time, though, like who was really better in high school? It's funny now that by the time OSU beat LSU, Adley was already threatening the school record for hits and RBIs, but his freshman year he was batting 198 partway through the season. And his bat has come so far, too, in a year. I remember last year when people were a little concerned when he was around the Mendoza line. And then he rose to that. He yeah. was struggling early. Pat Casey and Andy Jenkins would almost laugh and say, hey, trust me, he'll be fine. And he was absolutely fine, if understatements are allowed. After the regional, Adley's batting average was near 400 and on the rise. Coach Pat Casey and I play a little game before the season starts, and I gave him what I thought Adley Rushman's numbers would be at the end of the year. And I went something along the lines of 285. 285. 285. Not 385. <laughs> 285. Well, he had 234 the year before. But arguably, Adley's bat isn't even the best part of his game. 
Primarily, catchers need to be reliable defenders. There's a reason that Ivan Rodriguez, Carlton Fisk, and Mike Piazza are rare breeds in Major League Baseball history. They're known for being great hitters and great catchers. More commonly, teams will sacrifice some offense to have a good defensive catcher in the lineup. Adley does both. Take it from Tyler Malone, who went pro in 2019 and has since switched positions to catcher and gained a greater appreciation for what Adley did day in and day out behind the plate. You know, I kind of took it for granted. Rutch made it look super, super easy back there. I mean, obviously, like, we knew he was, you know, the best catcher in the country, and we got spoiled a little bit. Tyler Malone came to realize even more than he already had Adley's effectiveness in receiving pitches, framing them to look like strikes. There's a lot of guys starting to work below the ball now because traditionally speaking, catcher used to just keep their glove up when they would go to catch the ball. A lot of guys would take the ball out of the zone. I mean, even though like Adley does that, for example, he keeps his glove up, but he's very good at maintaining that and not having the ball take his glove out of the zone. He's super good at, at sticking the ball. It's a special skill for a catcher, and every catcher frames pitches, but few do it as well as Adley Rutschman. And that doesn't even cover his arm strength. Adley's pop time, the duration it takes a catcher to catch the ball, come out of his crouch, and throw to second base, has been clocked at between 1.9 and 2 seconds, which would put Adley in the top half of all major league catchers already. And there's more. Adley is not just a tremendous defensive catcher, not just a great hitter, but also a switch hitter. Only about 100 switch hitting catchers have ever played Major League Baseball since 1883, and even fewer were good enough to stay in the league for long. It was already becoming clear by 2018 that Adley had what it took to join their ranks. Speaking of the draft, I have heard people talk in terms of this young man, Jim. If he stays healthy and continues to do the things he's doing, he'll be in the conversation for 1-1 next year. A potential first overall pick, and we only just saw Nick Madrigal become the highest pick in OSU baseball history at number four overall. Well, Adley could wait until 2019 to see how his draft turned out, but for now, the Beavers had advanced through the regional and had only a single opponent between them and the College World Series. Trevor, can you tell me a little bit about what your conversations have been like with the Twins this week? Um, a lot of questions about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Just four days after being drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Twins, Trevor Larnick and the Beavers would now be playing the University of Minnesota. In fact, the Golden Gophers play their home games just three miles from the Twins' ballpark, although they'd have to travel for this best-of-three series to Corvallis. That Super Regional and some other off-the-field storylines will be the subject of next week's episode. You can listen to that episode right now and the rest of the series by becoming a premium member. Check out the episode notes to find out more. Radio broadcast from Learfield IMG College. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Have a great day, everyone, and let's talk next week.